Hello, welcome to Helen Talks Who. I'm Helen and today I'm talking about the end of time. We're up to the 10th Doctor's final story. Um, though that was Christmas 2009 and New Year's Day 2010. Let's start by talking about the overall story structure and some of the plot. Um, again, we have a two-parter. Really, so I don't have much to discuss about like what happened in each part. Um, I think the two things to the the two things to think about when we think about this being a two-parter. The first is that it gives the story space to breathe. So it means we actually get the stuff in part one with, you know, the master terrorising homeless people and we get the various, like, scenes of Wilf and the Doctor talking um, and also, you know, getting to see the Doctor and the Master talk both in part one and, and in part two. It just, yeah, it gives it that room to breathe, which is good because those scenes where we get to slow down a little bit and, you know, dig into the emotions, those are some of the absolute best in the story. And the second thing to sort of remember when we think about this being a two-parter is that at the time, it was... It was a really big event, you know? It was... we just had a year with only two Doctor Who episodes, you know, which, is, for me, that was the first year without any Doctor Who series. Um, you know, obviously, for older fans, they were kind of used to uh, coping with, with there not being any Doctor Who on in a particular year, but... For me, it was it, it was the first time that that had happened. There'd always been a new series, as far as I was concerned. Um, and this story came at the end of that. Um, so we were, you know, well ready for a, a good, decent dose of Doctor Who. And the second thing is, like, the 10th Doctor's regeneration was a big deal. Um, I mean, the regeneration of a Doctor is always a big deal, but I don't know. I remember the 10th Doctor's one as being more present. Um, I think... I, I don't think I'd say that Doctor Who was at the peak of its popularity. Like, I think that came a couple of years into Matt Smith's era, particularly with some of the... Um, Sort of, uh, some more worldwide premiere stuff they did at the beginning of the Eleventh Doctor's era, and um, and with the fiftieth anniversary in two thousand and thirteen, but it was it was reaching the peak of its popularity, um, at the end of two thousand and nine. There, to my memory. So, yeah, having an episode on Christmas Day and then an episode on New Year's Day. It, it was a big deal and, and, you know, spending that week thinking about what was going to happen was, was great. Uh, the, oh, how old was I at that point? 
16 year old yeah 16 year old at that point um and the cliffhanger is excellent it's um it's actually better than i remember it being because i'd remembered obviously the big part is the master turning himself into every person on on earth and then you also have the thing of donna starting to remember um but then it sort of almost um pulls back from that and you get the little bit of narration and you think right these are the two you know cliffhangers for for the week this is what we've this is what we're left with until new year's day and then you get the reveal of the time lords it's great um so yeah the cliffhanger is great watching it now um particularly so i watched it um I watched it all in one go. I just watched it on an evening. And it is a long story once you know what happens with the plot and everything. It's it's a long story. Um I mean it probably is it about the length of a film. Part two is like an hour and fifteen. I think part one is an hour. So yeah, two hours fifteen minutes. It's about the length of a of a film. It, it it's long. But it all knits together um, in terms of the story structure. My favourite aspect of the, um, of, of the plot and is that we have not just one, but we have two misinterpreted prophecies. Um, I love a good misinterpreted prophecy. It's, um, it, it's a good story device. Um, so here we have... Well, we have the one that we've sort of known about since uh, since Planet of the Dead, the He Will Knock Four Times, where the Doctor thinks it's referring to the Master. Um, but we also have the Master thinking that the something is returning prophecy that the Ood give is also about himself um, when it ends up being uh, Gallifrey instead, um, which is the... So we've got two prophecies being misinterpreted, but also both misinterpreted because people think it's about the master and not about what it's actually about, which uh, there's a metaphor there, giving, given his uh, egocentrism. Ego, e- egocentrism? Is that a word? Given his egotistical nature. So let's talk about the master. He is way out of his depth in this story he he doesn't have a plan because the last time we saw him in series three he kind of he had an overarching plan of take over the earth you know he had uh like what is it 18 months before the doctor and martha and jack uh came came back to see him like he 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 had it all worked out here not only is he dying because of his botched uh, regeneration. I know it's not a regeneration. I'm struggling to think of another word for it. Um, but yeah, not only is he dying, he, he has absolutely no plan, which is great. It's really great to see him just bounce from thing to thing when he's, you know, he's in the wasteland in part one, um, and then he gets kidnapped by Naismith and he's like, right, let's try and use this. 
and then you know it goes all the way to the end when when the time lords appear and he's like oh yeah okay not what i planned but yeah sounds great take me with you um which is great it it it's good to see different things with with the master um and i like seeing him sort of yeah scramble about looking for looking looking for an opportunity oh, and not just an opportunity for power but also uh answers to you know why he has the drums in his head um he's sort of got these two these two drivers in this story of, of power and and why is this noise in my head I wonder if the um so the thing regarding the fact that he's um looking for answers as to why he's got the knocking in his head, the drums in his head even, um it's implied in the story that he has always heard that. So even like, you know, classic era master had the drums in his head, it just didn't come up. Um, so I wonder if, like, the reason that he's looking for answers now is because he's dying. If it, It's because, you know, his body is failing him and, and he thinks that maybe it's the, um, it's going to be his last chance to get some a- answers about that. I wonder. And then the other great thing about having the master in an episode of Doctor Who is how he interacts with the Doctor. Um, firstly, so I know I've talked about the master's attention-seeking complex before and specifically seeking attention from the Doctor. So I do love the part in the first episode where so the master was talking with the um with with the homeless people and he was sort of bemoaning the fact that he wasn't going to be able to hide from the doctor literally two minutes later the master uh smells the doctor knows that he's near and starts banging a drum to get his attention (laughs) like he's all talk we also have, again, the Doctor demonstrating his kind of lingering fondness for the Master. He, it's, it's interesting. So when he's been taken captive uh, by the Master and he's, you know, talking about what the Master is doing and, you know, saying you could have been brilliant, um, he basically makes the Master a, like a companion offer like an offer to travel with him you know obviously there's the condition of the master has stopped being a homicidal maniac but um he does he does still demonstrate that fondness um which there's an interesting moment in the scene with the doctor and wolf in the spaceship when um after they find out about the time lord and wolf says because the doctor thought that showing that he's scared of the idea of the time lords returning and will says um i've heard you talk about your people like they were wonderful 
and the doctor explains that's how I choose to remember them implying that you know the time lords are not all wonderful and he's very much referring to the master as well like when the doctor is not actually facing the master he yeah I think he chooses to remember remember the person that he used to be friends with on Gallifrey I suppose um which it 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 that part of their dynamic that makes you know the master work as a Doctor Who villain and makes their story so compelling. For the next section, um, I'm going to go through some of my favourite scenes for this episode. Um, and quite honestly, they are candidates for my favourite Doctor Who scenes ever as well. Um, it, it's really the little moment that make this story excellent. Like the plot, the plot is fine. The plot is epic. It's full of tension, but it's the little sort of character-driven moments that that are my favorite, and that I think, you know, they're the reason why I will sit and rewatch this episode. So, uh, scene number one, and in fact. I'm cheating. It's a pair of scenes. Um, the Doctor and Wilf, two main scenes. The scene in the cafe in part one, where they're chatting and then they see Donna and, and you know, the Doctor confides in Wilf and tells him that he's dying and, and talks about that. Um, and then the spaceship scene in part two, um, when they're not quite sure how to stop the master but they're sitting and looking at the earth and talking about the stakes of the story their dynamic throughout the entire episode but in particularly in these two scenes is absolutely perfect you have this sense of two old men together and that's very fitting for where the doctor is um and yeah, David Tennant's performance, like, he really makes you believe that, that he is old, that he's, you know, lived for 900 years, and that he's coming to the end of his life. It's, um, it's excellent. There's a bunch, so I've, I've picked out these two specific Doctor and Wolf scenes. There are a bunch of good scenes with, where you know Wilf has this real humor and you know some laugh out loud uh, funny moments but it's it's these emotional scenes that I want to talk about so the cafe scene the the fact that the doctor says he's going to die and you know he explains to Wilf that you know technically he doesn't know that he's going to regenerate but he then goes on to explicitly say that regeneration feels like dying, that idea of this new man sauntering away. And, I mean, firstly, it allows us to, you know, really have that emotional link to what the Doctor's going through because 
without that, like, when a doctor regenerates, there is this sense of, okay, yes, you're saying goodbye to this actor that that played him, but, you know, the character is continuing, the stories are continuing. Um, so actually having the doctor say, you know what, I still feel it. I, I feel like I'm about to die, even though I know that technically I still continue. It's, um, it, it's really great. It, and this is, this is what justifies everything that the doctor's been doing in terms of running away from death and avoiding it in terms of the story. The fact that he's feeling that. Um, yeah. The moment that really got me that during this scene and, and did actually start making me cry when I was re-watching this is when the doctor sees Donna obviously they have you know the nice little update about where she's at but then you have this moment where the doctor sort of realizes the the scope of his loneliness and kind of almost almost breaks down and yeah that moment really got me and it's also it makes it really, really fitting that at the end of the episode we'll get this coda where he goes to see all of his companions at the end because, yes, his fear of death is, is, is a driver throughout the last uh, couple of stories, but as we saw back in The Neck Doctor, it's his loneliness after after the stolen earth and journey's end after donna having to forget him and him having to say goodbye to rose again and him you know having all his friends together only to have them all go off to their own lives like the loneliness that results from that has been a major driver so it's really fitting that and and makes it really understandable why he does go and see his companions at the end of the episode. You know, it makes it more than just this um narrative device, this way of putting a coda on, on, on the Russell T. Davies era as well as the Tenth Doctor era. It's um yeah, I like that parallel. Then in part two we have the spaceship scene with Wolf and the Doctor when they're sitting and looking at Earth. Um, it is a beautifully written scene. There are some really lovely moments, you know, with Wolf talking about his national service and, and that kind of thing. The thread I want to pull out of that scene, though, is they're discussing the stakes of the episode. So they're discussing, you know, at that point, Every human on Earth is the master now. And Wilf saw the Doctor and the Master having their little sort of bonding session when they were both being held, held captive. And because Wilf saw that, he knows that the Doctor needs reminding that he can't put the Master first, that he can't, you know 
prioritise this old friendship over every human on earth. Which I love. Because, you know, the doc- I think the Doctor does need that reminder. The Doctor has a tendency to... To forgive the Master too much, I think. Um, and something that's very powerful about that scene is... The Doctor spends the whole scene refusing Wolf's gun. Which is kind of building on everything that we've seen regarding him being anti-military, regarding his pacifism, um, which I know I've talked about a lot, particularly in the uh, in the fourth series. Um, and he changes his mind and takes up arms immediately once it's revealed that the Time Lords are returning. The fact that it is the Time Lords that make him take up arms, that's... That's great. Like, that, that's a really great moment. Um, obviously, in narrative terms, it, like, you know, gives us a real sense of of how serious it could get. Like, we thought it was serious already, and that you know, seeing the Doctor do something that not only do we know is sort of against how he usually acts, but also that he spent the entire scene going, no, I really can't. Like, that That really makes us think that shit's going to go down. <laughs> the next favourite scene that I want to talk about... I refer to it as the Doctor's Choice, Um, and it's the scene immediately after the spaceship one when the Doctor has crashed into the mansion and he has the Time Lords on one side, he has the Master on the other, and he has the gun that he took from Will. And he needs to figure out how to stop the disaster. And it looks like he's got two choices to shoot the Time Lord uh, president or to shoot the Master and in that way break the link and it's a wonderful tense scene brilliant absolutely brilliant particularly because you know we so rarely see the Doctor with a gun that that you know makes it even more dramatic and the part that that sells the scene to me, that, that makes this scene one of my favourites, is once the Doctor realises what he needs to do, he realises that it's the diamond he needs to shoot and not, not the Master and not the Time Lord President. And he tells the Master to move aside. And the Master pauses. And I love this. The master need to work out what the doctor is about to do before he will actually, you know, do what the doctor says and move aside. I absolutely love that. It's such a tiny moment, but it makes the scene for me. Um, yeah. I'm easily pleased. No, I'm not easily pleased. Like, it is, it is a wonderful little moment. 
And this brings me to the four knocks theme, which is, I think, a perfect end to a doctor. So first you have the doctor on the floor and he thinks he's won. He thinks he thinks he's beaten the prophecy. And you have that wonderful four knocks music in the background and you see him go from you know, realising that he's still alive to starting to kind of celebrate it quietly. And then you get the four four knocks on the glass, um, which sort of, the Doctor's face just falls. And it's absolutely perfect. Um, I love that you get this moment of, the doctor delivering this uh, soliloquy where he just rails against fate and the universe. On first watch, I think there was a, a question mark over whether the doctor would save Wilf, whether, you know, what was going to happen. But really, when you think about it, like, it, it, it's not in doubt. Of course the Doctor's going to save Wilf. Of course he's going to do the right thing. But um, but you get the moment of him, you know, venting his frustration at it. Um, which, it does, it does feel very Shakespearean. It's, it's great. Um, like, it's sort of the payoff of what the Doctor's been doing in terms of, you know, facing his death over over several episodes now. You get this payoff of, of him going, it's not fair. Um, which... Wilf's reaction to it as well, it's lovely, it's like this kind of quiet moment of Wilf kind of knows that the Doctor will save him but he also knows that the Doctor needs that moment he needs he need to need to vent that um yeah I love that scene then after the Doctor gets uh poisoned by radiation you get him curling up on the floor of the booth and there's again on first watch only there is definitely like a question of when that man stands up is it going to be the 10th doctor or the 11th doctor like I remember thinking that at the time because remember I'd only seen one regeneration um and oh well I suppose one and a half because we get the one you know the uh the fake one in Dolan Earth but the classic Doctor regeneration they don't do the standing up um with golden light those those ones you know were sometimes lying down um I think isn't it the sixth Doctor where Colin Baker didn't come back to film his regeneration scene so you see the doctor 
full face down and it's a guy in a blonde wig and then he stands up and he's uh, Sylvester McCoy. So, yeah, I do remember thinking like, oh, is, is, is that going to be Matt Smith? Um, but it's not. Because you then get the kind of coda to the episode. Um, and it literally, up till that point, it literally takes us to about the 55 minute mark. And there's another 20 minutes of the episode left. So we've essentially had the length of a normal, you know, special episode of Doctor Who. And then we have the extra stuff. So the coda where he gets to see all of his companions again. Now, at the time, the um, the last 20 minutes of the episode was my favourite part of the story. I recorded it in, in my diary at the time. Um, seeing all of the companions again was, you know, thrilling, just like it was in, in, in The Stolen Earth, which, you know, was a year and a half ago at that point. Um, now, like watching it now as an adult and sort of knowing what happened, um, some of the companion scenes are a bit sort of, info dumpy uh martha's in particular you know martha martha deserves m- more um but i do like her and mickey being together um which is nice but yeah some of the companion themes bit info dumpy but you've got this lovely thread running through of the doctor saving them in various ways and in some scenes it's obvious you know he saves martha and mickey with the sontara and um he saves luke by uh by making sure the car doesn't knock him knock him over um but you also have like captain jack so in terms of jack's timeline he's he's coming out of children of earth which obviously ends horrifically um so yes that scene is kind of funny and that scene is like a little bit weird when you think about it the idea of the doctor setting up two of his old uh friends and companions with each other but if you think of it from the point of view of he's sort of saving jack from loneliness i suppose then it fits thematically um particularly as i said that the doctor's been sort of um exploring themes of loneliness in the last few episodes um then the donna scene um obviously you know she's more involved in the story because wilf has been there and we've we've seen her um throughout the two parts um but the doctor is still saving her with um you know giving her the lottery ticket um in a different way like not saving her life exactly but wilf did make a point of saying in part one that you know donna and her fiance were happy together but you know were looking at this quite hard life in some ways of being short of money and all that um so the doctor does what 
what he can there. Um, the only one that doesn't have this, you know, theme of the Doctor saving his companions is the uh, the bit with uh, Verity with the um that calls back to human nature and Joan. Um, yeah, that one. It's a nice callback. It doesn't quite fit in the same theme as the others to me. Um, the only thing I wondered was whether the Doctor has been thinking about his impact on others. Um, because Joan, of course, is the person in, in, in recent years that kind of called him out on that most dramatically. Um, so I wonder if, like, it's that aspect. Having said that, like, Russell T Davies does admit in the writer's tale that that scene is, you know, a bit of a, an, an indulgent one. Um, and it is lovely. It's a lovely little moment. And then that leads me to my other favourite scene of this episode, which is the rose scene. Which is this absolutely perfect bookend to the Tenth Doctor and to the first Russell T Davies era, because of course he's uh, he's in charge again now. Um, yeah, I love that Rose theme. Um, it. It even works, because obviously we have seen Rose in series four, um, it still works, and I think that's partly because, like, it's not the same Rose that we saw in season series four, you know, this, this Rose is, is 2005 Rose, she's Rose from just before series one. So it's not, you know, diminished by the fact that we have seen her relatively recently. Um, yeah, it's lovely. I like to think that the Doctor didn't set the TARDIS to go specifically to that moment. Because obviously, like, he doesn't seem to realise what year it is or what date it is and like I don't think that's the doctor pretending as an excuse to make small talk I think he genuinely isn't sure what year it is I like to think that he was wandering around the TARDIS and just thought I want to see Rose again and the TARDIS brought him to New Year's Day 2005 um beautiful scene And then we have the the actual regeneration. Um, I want to speak briefly about the Doctor's last words, um, the I don't want to go. Now, they really do encapsulate what the Doctor has been through in this story. You know, we, we've seen that he's running away from, from his death. We've seen that he likes being the 10th Doctor. Um, so in that sense, it's re they're really fitting. The, so I think they were absolutely perfect on first watch 
especially at a goodbye you know a goodbye to a doctor an audience's goodbye to a doctor um but i think looking at them with the benefit of a bit of hindsight there is a repeated beat in having i don't want to go with the last words because we've already seen the doctor's you know rage against the dying of the light speech we've we've seen him sort of process his feelings about having to die um so yeah there is a little bit of repeated beat there still good though like thoroughly enjoyed watching the this this story um and it's a very fitting end to the tenth doctor now i know when i did the ninth doctor's last episode i gave a bit of a um a bit of an overview of some of the things i i liked about his performance and stuff i feel like i've covered the stuff that I want to talk about with regard to the 10th Doctor's era, like, throughout these episodes and throughout my rewatch. Um, but the one sort of summing up note that I do want to uh, briefly mention is, like, the 10th Doctor was my Doctor in a lot of ways. Um, he's He's the Doctor that, you know made me a Doctor Who fan he is in some way the reason I am sitting here doing this doing this podcast doing this rewatch um now I've said before I don't have favorite doctors um so you're not you're not you're not going to make me say that he's my favorite doctor but he is certainly my doctor um and doing this rewatch I've really been reminded of how much I love this era and this Doctor in general. Um, and which is excellent because, you know, it's, it's also reminded me how much I love Doctor Who as well, which is just lovely to be reminded of. Um, and the Tenth Doctor and Donna as well um have been um a massive part of me remembering that which is lovely but as with any regeneration episode on to the next thing so thank you very much for listening um i have an email address for this podcast if anyone would like to get in touch or if you have any uh, commentary i'd love to hear from you um the email address is helen talks who at gmail.com Next time, I will be watching The Eleventh Hour, um, and I will also be talking about some of my first memories of, of Matt Smith being announced as the Doctor. Um, so, yeah. See you then. Bye. Postscript time. So it is currently uh, Monday, the Monday after The Power of the Doctor, um, I recorded the bulk of this episode on uh, Friday evening. I watched uh, End of Time on Thursday evening. Um, really did not plan this timing, but I feel like 
I need to put this here, partly as a disclaimer, um, because obviously everything I've said during this episode was before we know what happens at the end of Power of the Doctor, and if you haven't seen it, like, stop listening now, like, please. Um, but yeah, so David Tennant's back, um, which I'm sure we'll, I'll talk about a lot more when we actually get to the Power of the Doctor in the rewatch, but I do have a few thoughts about how it kind of pertains to End of Time. So... Firstly, I mean, I just said that the I don't want to go last line um, haven't aged well. Um, I was two days too early on that because actually it's aged very well um, 12 years later. So that's number one. And secondly, I think some of the themes that have come out in this rewatch really do have a parallel with what we've just seen in The Power of the Doctor. So firstly, I've talked about the fact that the Tenth Doctor ends his era with this, like, acute loneliness. Um, And that's partly through Donna, which I'm going to guess is going to come back to, you know, um, be resolved somehow, given that we have Catherine Tate in in the 60th anniversary next year as well. Um, but also it's very fitting that the Doctor takes the form of the Tenth Doctor again after a story that had a massive thread about, you know, what it means to be a to be a companion who's no longer travelling with the Doctor and what it means that the Doctor has this group of friends that she can call on that will that will come and help her out. Um, so it makes sense that she takes the form of the of the tenth Doctor again. The other theme that kind of um, got explored in the power of the Doctor, or or the other parallel rather is, um, I mean, this is the first time we've seen the Doctor in love with their companion. I don't, I'm not counting uh, Eleven and River here because River's not a companion, that one's slightly different. So it's not not the first time we've seen the Doctor in love um, since Ten and Rose, but it's the first time that we've seen the Doctor in love with with their best friend, with, with their companion. Um, but it's different this time. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of parallels in the way that 10 and Rose versus 13 and Yav are sort of handled, um, particularly in terms of the Doctor not allowing herself to just be happy. Come on. Um, but she was less emotionally constipated than than the 10th Doctor was in the Bad Wolf Bay, uh, in both Bad Wolf Bay scenes. You know, she, in, in the Pirates episode, whenever it was, six months ago, you know, she did admit that she had feelings for Yaz. The, in the goodbye scene yesterday, like, when they're sitting eating ice cream and looking at the world, like, she does say... She, she does say that she's loved being with Yaz, um, which 
is more than the Tenth Doctor did. So yeah, that parallel along with the uh, Tenth Doctor's loneliness really does, for, for me, mean it makes a lot of story sense that the Doctor has taken on the form of the Tenth Doctor again. Um, we shall have to see where it actually ends up going. Um, but I trust Russell T Davies. Um, and like I say, doing this rewatch, like it's actually been perfect timing because it has reminded me how good David Tennant was as the Doctor. And I mean, I'm super excited for Shuti Gatwa to come in as the fifteenth Doctor in some way in the in the fiftieth anniversary as well. Um, and yeah, we shall see. But um, I did I did want to share these thoughts, given that it is super appropriate. Uh, my timing of 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 this one. I know it'll be a few weeks before, um, you know, for for you guys listening, it, it this this was all a a few weeks ago. But um, but we've got no Doctor Who now for another year, so um, we're gonna have to find something else to uh to think about in that time. So yeah, um, onwards to Matt Smith's era. And I will see you next time.